Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I am absolutely thrilled today to have as my guest Carl Creamer, the head boys basketball coach at Moeller High School in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, coach Creamer's been there for more than 34 years uh, and won five state championships at Moeller High School. Um, um, there are a lot of other things that you could say, but starting there means it's going to be a fascinating podcast. And I've uh, had the good fortune of knowing Coach Creamer. Um, I don't know, for 12 or 13 years now, and just the, the, the two things that I think speak uh, most effectively to who Carl Creamer is in my eyes uh, are humility and steadiness, uh, and I think that that's how he leads his program, and I'm looking forward to having him tell his story today. Please enjoy my conversation with Carl Creamer, the head boys basketball coach at Moeller High School. Welcome into today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I'm John Cook, your host, and I say thrilled a lot on this podcast. I don't say honored very often. I'm honored to to have as my guest today, Coach Carl Creamer, coaches the head basketball coach at Moeller High School in Cincinnati. Uh, If you listen to the little intro that I recorded, you know that that Coach and I crossed paths, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago probably, but uh, what's been most enjoyable, Coach, for me is is we met back when I was an assistant at Bluffton, but what's been most enjoyable is at, at times I've had the opportunity to call games down at the state tournament, and it feels like either you're there every year uh, and, I'm call, and I'm calling your games at, at the end of the state tournament or the one year that you didn't make it to Columbus. I know we, we, we got to interview you on our airwaves, and so I just want to say how much I appreciate you taking time to do this and, and, and be a part of the podcast. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Well, John, I'm honored to do it. I think uh, what you're doing for to promote high school basketball and, and to give uh, coaches an opportunity to talk about this great game is awesome, and uh, I'm thrilled you asked me to be here. So what, what the podcast has evolved into, Coach, really, and it wasn't expected. I didn't know what it was going to be when I started it because I didn't know what to make of it, but what it's evolved into over the course of the last two or three months that I've been doing it is largely it, it, it's it's become a, a really popular thing. At least the feedback I get is letting coaches tell their stories and and share their backgrounds. So I, I guess that's kind of where I'd like to start with with this conversation is just kind of start with with yourself and your your high school career. You know where you went to high school, who you played for. I know a little bit about your story because we've talked about it before. But what about your background coming through high school? Uh, maybe pointed you toward a career in coaching, whether you knew it or not at the time? Well, yeah, I, I appreciate the question. So I went to Miami East High School, which is right outside of Troy, Ohio. Uh, had a great high school experience. Uh, uh, very average player. Uh, I played for a really terrific man named Ed Miller. And uh, just a great human being, treated us right. Uh, I look back sometimes, I think I was kind of a snot-nosed kid at times, but Ed Miller treated us right all the time, and uh, I had a great experience. We had a good team. The years I was there, we weren't great, but but we were a good team, and I also uh, was influenced greatly by by a man named Jim Martin at Miami East High School. Now, this is back in 1978 graduate, so in the mid-70s, uh, Coach Martin was our football coach, and, and I played football also and uh, and played for Coach Martin, and he had, he had a uh, – I, I really believe what I learned from him, and I, I do use it in coaching today, he had a, uh, an intensity – 
and a focus on fundamentals that was really impressive. And, you know, I've always believed that the great teams don't really scheme their way to success. They really fundamental their way to success. And I learned that in high school from him. And uh, so, so I was blessed to do it. But again, a very average athlete. I, I, I then went on to uh, to college. I had some schools, some Division three schools, send me letters. Uh, my father was a bricklayer. We had six kids in our family. Um, there wasn't going to be a lot of money for me to go to a private school or a smaller school. So I ended up going to Eastern Kentucky University, and I never even, I went in close to playing basketball in a place like that. I played a lot of intramural, but uh, I wasn't going to play college basketball. And frankly, in, in college, I kind of got completely away from it. I was a fan, but I didn't do I, – I look at my players, and I've got a lot of them that are out coaching today. And, man, what those kids learn in, in college is amazing to me. They, I mean, that, that is really – that's where these kids really learn how to do it and become coaches. I didn't have that. So I really got very involved in student government and, and, and actually got involved in local politics when, when I was uh, at Eastern Kentucky, down in Richmond, Kentucky. And I would tell you, I think a lot of what I really – I think a lot of what coaching is, and that's learning how to handle people and work with people. I got those experiences in college at Eastern, and and uh, and when I did kind of become a teacher, and I didn't always have a grand plan to do that, but when I did become a teacher, it really helped me, I think, in, in coaching. And if I remember right, when in trying to read up on some things, you, you were a history major in college, and you had told me before about, about the student government activity. Um, what ultimately was it that, that kind of, I, I know teaching wasn't your grand plan. What ultimately put you in the, in the, in the field of education? Because that's really when the coaching door opened up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, in, in a way, I think I always thought I'd be a teacher. I come from a family of teachers. My mom and I had uncles and uh, on both sides of my family, a lot of teachers in our family. And I, 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 I think I was always comfortable in school. Uh, I wasn't the greatest student by a long stretch, John. But, <laughs> but, but, but I, you know, but I did well in school. I was happy. I had a lot of friends, uh, had good relationships, and had great adult relationships both in high school and and in uh, in college. So I, you know, I, I, I like all kids. You're kind of just not sure. And then I would say, you know. A year or two into college, I said, hey, I'm going to go this route. I may end up, I may try to go to law school. I may do something different. But I, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and get the education degree. And my goodness, I, I have kids ask me all the time, you know, former players, coach, I love coaching. Should I go into it? You know, should, should I teach? And I just always share with guys, hey, I, 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 have, I have enjoyed every every day of the 37 years that, that I've been doing this and uh, and, and I've never regretted once so I, I'm not rich but I've never regretted for a second uh, what I chose to do well you know I, and it's you express some things there that are really they, they resonate with me I honestly I can't say I've enjoyed every day but I've never regretted the decision that, that is for certain the decision to become an educator I grew up on a farm and and, uh, and it would have had a, a great chance had I had farming been my thing. I would have had a great chance to have a good life. My dad provided for all of us really well with it. But teaching and coaching was what I wanted to do. And, and the relationship piece was important to me, that the teachers and the coaches that impacted me early on 
and created great relationships, as you mentioned, is incredibly important. Um, and, and when I came through school, I, I think kind of the same way. I, I did well in school, but I probably would have been labeled an underachiever uh, by, by the people that knew me best. Uh, but I really liked high school. And when I got to college, it was really more about, for me, I was trying to get into coaching. I was, you know, that was my really only pursuit. I went one I was a student assistant with the, with the team at Ohio Northern, but um, I just, it's the same way when I talk to young people, I, who, who bring up teaching and, and, and about, well, you don't make much money. And then, and then there's a lot of things about teaching that are hard, but here's, here's what I say to people all the time. What's your dream career? Tell me what it is, and I may not be able to identify it for you, but I'm going to be able to there, – there, there's two or three things about it you're not going to enjoy. Yes, yes. So yes. talk about your, your coming out. I think you probably would have gotten done at Eastern Kentucky in, what, about 82 or 83? Yeah, it was uh, – it actually was – I graduated in uh, December of 83, and then I started my master right away. Uh, so, and then, so I taught one year while I was getting my master's in 83, 84. I taught at a uh, Catholic grade school. And again, I had been from public schools my whole life. Um, I actually went to Catholic grade school in Troy, grade one through six. Then I went to public. There was no really Catholic school in the area. So then I went to public school in Eastern Kentucky was a public school. Um, but I landed this job at Mary Queen of the Holy Rosary in Lexington, Kentucky. So I was teaching seventh grade during the day and I was getting my master's in counseling at night and uh, loved that job. And uh, later that, that summer, that year was over and I was just about done with my master's. I was able to, uh, very fortunate, I, I met a guy at a wedding at my best friend in college wedding. Uh, is His best friend from from uh, really from growing up was also in the wedding. We met each other and that guy happened to be a teacher at Muller High School. And I said to him, you know, so we're, we're rooming together at the weekend of the wedding and he tells me about Muller High School and I said, man, I've heard of that. And that's just a place that I, I would love to be in a place like that. My, my dad actually played for Jerry Faust Sr., Jerry Faust's wow. dad. Yeah. And, and uh, that's all I heard about was Chaminade back in the day. And now Moeller, my, my dad roots for Moeller because Jerry Faust is there. And he kind of laughed and he said, well, you know, well, what do you teach? And I said, well, I'm actually certified in history and English. And he goes, you know, I'll see what I can do. And sure enough, that following Monday, I get a phone call from Mueller, and I go up there on a Tuesday, and I'm driving home after the interview, and they call me and offer me the job. And, and really, so, you know, things just happen sometimes with so much just good fortune for me, because truly, I, I will tell you, John, I mean, we've had great success, and I'm really proud of what we've done, but that institution allows you the vehicle to have great success. I've never kidded myself that, you know, this is just something that, you know, myself and the staff were able to do. Mueller's an unusual place. It's not what everyone thinks it is either. Truly, you know, I know people have these visions of it. I, um, but I was really fortunate to land there, and I landed there at a time when, you know, basketball wasn't a big deal. That football had been so dominant. And so, um, you know, we, we got an opportunity to kind of build it from the ground and uh, just, just really blessed. And, and I, I'm glad you said that as well, Coach, because I, I think that there are there are two things that you, you can't account for and you also can't deny them. I, I think timing is one. 
And and I I think good fortune may be separate from timing. They can be the same thing. They can be unrelated, Uh, but, but, but they matter. And, 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 and I say this to people all the time, we, we get different degrees of good fortune. Our timing is infected by things we don't control, but what we do control is what we do with, with what we have. So when the, when the opportunity comes or the good fortune comes, if it does, and when the timing is right, you have to deliver on those things. So when you're walking into that job in, in 1984, um, what, what's your, what's your quote unquote master plan for starting that career? Well, you know, it's interesting too. And this is where I think I am different than a lot of high school coaches. I, I, I really, you know, I majored in history and English. I dabbled with thoughts of law school and, and, uh, and, I'm really going in up to Muller to be a teacher now. I loved high, I love sports. I love, I've always have. And I remember going to the interview, and in the interview back in these days at Muller, this is kind of funny, but you actually you had to sign a contract that was called a teacher coach contract. They didn't hire teachers unless they agreed to coach two sports. That was part of your contract. And I tell people that today, and they go, oh, "No way!" And I say, "Yeah, that's." We don't do it that way now, but back in those days. So when they called me and offered me the job, they said, well, well what, what are you, you going to coach? And I said, well, what's open? And they gave me a, a number of things, and not many I knew much about. I, I played high school football and basketball. It's pretty limited. And I said, well, I definitely do basketball. They weren't offering me football. And, uh, and one of the things there, they said, we really want you to coach tennis. And I said, hey, I'm the son of a bricklayer. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big tennis player. I'm not on a big country clubs. And, and in fact, I've never played tennis in my life. And, and they, uh, they said, oh, no, you, you, you'll figure it out. So I coached tennis my first year. I was actually a glorified taxi cab driver <laughs> to their matches. But that's how I started coaching. And here's the thing I'll say, John, I mean, for me, uh, and, and, and I've heard you talk about this. The coaching bug at that point in my life bit me like nothing else. I knew that year, man, this is the most exhilarating thing ever. I was actually, they made me the head freshman coach and uh, in basketball. And we actually won, we tied for the league championship. And I, it felt like a win to me. And I'll just tell you, I it just grabbed a hold of me. The, it, it, I thought coaching was the most exhilarating thing I'd ever done. And the reality was I wasn't very prepared. I mean, I, again, I didn't play college basketball. I, I, I really didn't know a lot. But my head coach was a guy named Dave Hammer. And there was an assistant coach on the staff named Dan Ragland. And both of those guys took me under their wing. And Dave had left after one year. Then Dan Ragland became the head coach. And he mentored me, introduced me to people in basketball, took me to clinics. He, he, he was actually very involved over at Indiana. And he would do a lot of their camps. And he took me over there. And, and then my quest in the 80s, I, I just fell in love with basketball and I really got to work and trying to learn the game. And uh, so, yeah, 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 for me, it's, yeah, I, I just kind of got lucky to fall in the baller and, and things worked out fine. And, and I've asked coaches this question several times and it, it sometimes it feels like I'm putting them on the spot, but w- once the bug bites you, it, it is what it is. I, I don't know that yeah. there, I don't know that there's a way to get rid of it, but what I, what I like to quiz guys on is, if you think about it hard enough, you remember when it bit you. What, I, can you can you talk about what what the most 
appealing part of it most what were you most enthused about i mean for some guys it's 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 the teaching and the practice for some guys it's the rush of the game for some guys it's the relationships for some guys it's just the x's and o's and the tactical stuff i mean it's different for everybody but what what was it about it for you that just that that that, that made it stick yeah, I mean, that's really a good question. You know, what I would say, I don't know if I knew, knew this back then, but what I find so uh, captivating by coaching is, is is what I just call the process. And it's watching things develop, watching growth, watching uh, individual growth in kids, and watching collective growth in kids, people learning how to become part of something bigger than themselves. And when you get that going, my God, that, to me, it, it, it's, uh, it, it is crack cocaine. And uh, it, it just is, it, it's just really a great feeling bringing those things together. So I would tell you, you know, my own unique little journey when our, when our board and our president asked me to become principal, you know, three years ago, I, you know, I, one of the reasons I turned him down a couple of times because I, I, I just didn't really want to give up coaching. And uh, and finally, they, they came to me and, and said, uh, well, I did an interim year to try to just bridge it. And then they came to me at the end and they said, hey, well, we really don't care. This is your, You've got this problem in your own right. We don't care if you coach. Go ahead and coach and do it. And we'll get you the support you need. And, and it really wasn't. I, I, I really couldn't. Leave. I, I couldn't leave coaching, so now I'm trying to balance both of these jobs. But that's again, it's just it's part part of who I am. And, and it has been for so long that I that I think I'm 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 going to find the answer to this question intriguing, no matter what what direction you go with it. But when you get into a program like Moeller, uh, you know, I think oftentimes, coach, people assume Moeller's always been Moeller. Moeller's always been what it what it has been the last. 17 or 18 or 20 years. And I don't know that that's the case. I guess the question I would have is, when did you know you were ready to start thinking about head coaching? Uh, you know, I, uh, it, it never really, the, the, the whole thing happened very odd. Muller basketball is, 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 I don't know how, how much you're aware, but Muller football in the 1960s and 70s, was uh, one of the unique things that's ever happened to any high school. Mola really became a national football program toward the end of the 60s and throughout the 70s. They won five straight national championships. Uh, there were national magazines writing articles about Mola football and Jerry Faust. It, it, it became such an enormous thing. And really from when the school opened in 1960 till about 1990, actually those first 30 years, Muller only had a handful of winning seasons. Now, they had a few good seasons. We had some good players. Lenny Matuzic and uh, uh, the Sylvester brothers played, uh, Steve Sylvester and uh, and Mike Sylvester. I mean, they, Byron Larkin in, in the very early 80s, right before I got there. But again, only about five or winning seasons out of 30 uh, because the sport was so dominated, the school was and no one did anything wrong, it's just that Muller would have a good freshman team, but all those kids would be completely they'd be lifting lifting weights in the winter and there just was no basketball culture so when I got there in the 80s our team struggled and I, I mentioned a guy 
named Dan Ragman. He was a terrific coach, and, and, and a lot of coaches listening to this will, will know Dan. I was his assistant, and we were working our butt off to try to establish a basketball program. And I thought we were making progress, and Dan was a Bobby Knight kind of guy. Uh, and, and coached hard, but the kids loved him, but, but, but he coached hard. And in the middle of the 1990 season, on a night after we'd won in our gym, apparently uh, some things, you know, they, 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 they bring him in. I think some parents have been upset, and, and they let him go. And he came to me and told me, you know, he wanted me to, to, to go ahead and take that job. And, and um, uh, they came to me and asked me if I would take it as the interim coach for a year. And, um, and it was, I was really conflicted. Because I, I had a big belief, John, in loyalty, and, and Dan Ragland had done everything for me, and really had, had trained me as a coach, and uh, so it was hard. But but after Ragland talked to me, you know, I, I decided to do that job, and uh, and we took it over, and we started the process of trying to build a basketball culture at Moeller. And Jerry Faust had now left and, and was at Notre Dame, or actually I think he'd already been in Notre Dame and gone, but uh, the school was starting to change a little bit. And we got really lucky in the early 90s. We, we had a kid named Bobby Brannon. I don't, do you remember him? I, I sure do. I sure do. And, and, and Bobby really came in as a football player. But he fell in love with basketball. He was the GCL Player of the Year um, three years in a row, sophomore through senior year. And all of a sudden, we start having crowds at our games. I always say Bobby made it cool to play basketball more and really got the thing started. So I've always uh, tipped my hat to him, and my career would have never been what it is. It had not been for him and the, and the other guys that were there. There were a lot of good players on that team that year. And, uh, and we started winning games, and I think his senior year we won our first league title, and it kind of built slowly. So when you when you took over in, in 90 and finished out that year, and you, you had used the term that you, you really – under Coach Ragland, even you were working hard to build a basketball culture. Yes. Yes. And, and, and Coach, you know, I've said for a while now that I, I believe that culture is one of the most overused and and, and little understood terms uh, in, in the sport because it's just it's a buzzword and everybody knows it and everybody uses it. But I'm not right. I'm not sure everybody has a grasp on, on what it means. So without covering, you know, maybe a half hour's worth of material. When you talk about establishing a culture, just talk a little bit about some of the things that you prioritized out of the shoot. Yeah, and, and, and I do believe this. I, I do think the word's overused. And exactly what you said, because I'm not sure everyone understands what it means. Maybe I don't understand what it means, but I truly believe to all coaches that the culture that you establish in your program is what will allow you to have longevity or not. Um, schemes come and go. You have to have good schemes. You, you have to teach fundamentals well. You have to do your front, your homework to learn all that. But in the end, the one thing that I really think will take you from good to great is to have incredible culture. So for me, that culture is pretty simple. I think it has to be rooted in uncommon work ethic. There has to be a commitment to the mission, and everyone in the room has to have it, and uh, commitment to doing things great. I think there has to be there has to be a commitment and a covenant amongst everyone, the coaches and the players, that 
the team is bigger than any individual. And I think that's really hard to get in our society someday because I think a lot of kids have influences, unfortunately, sometimes at home to fight against that, sometimes in other ways. And but I think that is a culture that you have to build. And I think there's ways to do it, and, and I think that's really important. And then I, I think there's a culture of character that, that, that you do things the right way. And, you know, there's little things that will demonstrate that. You know, I always say, you know, I, I would go scout a game. I watch the team's bench. I watch how guys interact with each other. I watch the engagement at the end of a bench. I always check the visitor's locker room when people leave us. I learn a lot about our opponents, by how they leave our locker room. And do they show respect for the place they're at? I just think character has to be taught and has to be part of, of, of your culture. And then I think a culture of toughness. Those are the things that we really emphasize in our culture. And I do think if you emphasize it every day and you've got everyone from your freshman level all the way through your varsity level and you do it in your camps in the summer, you talk about it enough and you live it. They, they have to see that, that as coaches were true to it. I think you can build that kind of culture that makes a difference. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think all those things are fantastic. And I, I think, again, a, a lot of people may talk about those types of things, but but the question is, do they live it? And, you know, my yeah. son my son's going to be a high school senior and he plays small school high school basketball here locally at, at Ada High School. And they've never had great success. When my son was a freshman, they won three games. When he was a sophomore, I think they won six. And and, and as a junior I, last year, I think they won, I don't know, six or seven or seven or eight. But I say all the time, establishing culture, particularly if you're struggling to win, it's really critical to get guys, players, who don't put the box score ahead of everything else. And it's really important. It's important as a coaching staff not to let the scoreboard determine how you feel about your culture. And that that can that can be challenging. That can be challenging until you get some things established. But I think it's critical. Yes, I, I, uh, you know, I, I think. What you said there is so important. I, I see so many coaches that ride the wave of winning and losing. And if you can get away from that and really ride the wave, is, are, are you living your values every day? And then winning and losing will take care of itself. And uh, I know that I have had, and, and our players would tell you this, and it's not just me, it's our whole staff. We, we are very much unified in our belief. But we've had wins where on the outside it looked great, but we saw things in there that, that, that weren't consistent with what we believe in, and uh, we are extremely upset after a game. And we've had losses that, 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 that I thought our guys went to battle and did it the right way for 32 minutes, and I'll hold my head up high at the end. So I, I think you're really with that. As, as leaders in a program, we have to – we have to be the ones that evaluate and establish what success truly is. And winning and losing, it's a byproduct of doing it well, but it's not the only. And, and that's not what you should live and die on. You know, and I love that statement because about three years ago, I was helping with the with the women's program at Ohio Northern. And one of my former assistants from the high school ranks came to one of our games. And and we didn't play great, and, and, and we managed to win. And he came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know, you and I have lost enough games that it, it's, it's just not – 
you shouldn't let yourself be miserable when you're winning. You got to enjoy every win. And I, and, and I think there's some truth to that, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you got to go to practice the next day feeling at least expressing that you're real happy. Cause I think there's a remarkable challenge in getting guys to ignore losses while they're building culture. And, it, and it's just as big a challenge to get guys to ignore wins if they're going against culture. Yes. Yes. I, I'm, I'm with you. And that's, but that's the key to coaching. I, I think that's what the head coach has to be able to do is, is to define what true success really is. So we're, we're actually a little bit ahead of, of schedule for the break. We're, we're about three minutes where, from where we would need to stop. But if it's OK with you, I'd like to go ahead and just take our break now. And then uh, after the break, we'll get into uh, a little more of the specifics of building that program, particularly in the mid 90s when things started to kind of turn. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the second segment of my conversation with Carl Creamer, the head basketball coach at Moeller High School. Uh, coach, before the break, we had spent a considerable amount of time talking about your journey into coaching uh, and and really this, this last 30 minutes or so, or however long it, we, we make this thing go and whatever we talk about, I want to just talk about, you know, what, what has occurred at Moeller. I, I mean, it's obviously very, very special, but it had some humble beginnings and you talked about the difficulty in having to decide to take over a program where essentially the head coaching opportunity landed on you more than, more than anything else. Um, and, and so when we talked about the, the, the building of a culture, can you can you think back and remember when it was that you felt like maybe you could could kind of pinpoint when some things that were really important were getting established and, and, and you started to feel like long term success was really a possibility? You know, I, um, so, you know, when, when we took over right in, in January of 90, um, the team actually made a little bit of run. Uh, my starting two guard on that team was David Bell. Um, and, uh, and, and Dave, David had a good end of the season. We had some good players. We had a kid who went to St. Francis and had a good career. Chris Timming and Joe Curran, uh, who played at UD. So we had some, actually, we had some, we were pretty talented and, uh, for whatever reason, just not playing well. And like I said, coach was kind of a big disciplinarian. And I mean, a great basketball coach. But I think when I came in, the one thing just in my personality, I, I kind of just kind of turned the screw and loosened it a little bit. And we started playing pretty well and actually made a run all the way, uh, won three tournament games. I knew while uh, since Muller won three tournament games. And uh, we made it to the district finals. I uh, got beat at UD's uh, Hair Arena by Oak Hills. But I, I knew we, we made a step. But the next year, my first full year, we went 6 and 15. And uh, brand new team. That team before was all seniors, and, uh, and we struggled. But from that point on, you could tell that that that, that we were building something. And then, like I said, Bobby Brandon came in and made play basketball. And by the mid nineties, you know, we we were winning some league titles, and we were right up in there in the hunt. But but we couldn't get over the top. Uh, you know, we, we lost to Withrow and Woodward. That was back in the Damon Flint era. Withrow, George Jackson was loaded. They were loaded. And we just couldn't get by in, in the tournament. And uh, finally, in, uh, in 1999, 
we, we, we had a special team. We, we kind of struggled through it, right? It wasn't as good as we thought it would be. I think we were 14 and 6, and we thought we had a great team. We had four kids that had played varsity as a sophomore on that team in 99, and but the tournament rolled around, and it was an amazing thing, but, but, but we ended up winning the whole thing. We won seven basketball games and won the state title, and in five of those games, we were pretty distinct underdogs and came back in about three or four with significant, uh, being behind significantly, and were able to come back. It was just an amazing run to win a state title and uh, ended up beating uh, Shaker Heights, who was number five in the country, um, and, and beat them, and, and we got up early and hung on for dear life. And But I would tell you in a weird way, and I, 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 I didn't think this would happen, but it really did. Uh, once we kind of broke through that glass, from if you, if you look at us since then, I mean, we, we have been pretty dominant since 1999. It's almost like we did it. And, and one thing that I think happened, John, to be very honest, when you're at a Catholic school where, where you don't have said districts, uh, when we started having success, and I, I think parents and kids were having good experiences at our school, and, and uh, you know, I, I know we get accused of recruiting all the time, and I find it frustrating. I can promise you everything I believe in is against ever cheating to win. We have never done that once. But truly, more and more kids were interested in coming to Moeller. We started getting basketball families coming to Moeller. They wanted to be a part of that. And, and you know, we just got the momentum going. And, uh, you know, we won it again in 03. We were there in 05. We won it in 07. We were there in 10. And it just kept going. And, you know, the last five years we've been really dominant in the state. And, um, you know, see, it was kind of just building a basketball culture that – basketball kids wanted to be at all place. Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that 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 change where all of a sudden it, it became a, a destination for basketball families. And, and, and that's not, you know, it, here's what I've always said about the Catholic school uh, dynamic and, the, and the, t- the talk about recruiting and whatnot. I mean, I grew up in small town Ohio and and I grew up in, in a very rural community where it was, just felt like everybody was against the Catholic school dynamic because they felt like recruiting was going to go on. And, and because I guess I knew I wanted to coach so early, uh, Coach Creamer, I, 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 I've always kind of been the guy that says, look, their job is to do a great job. And when they do a great job and, and they're in a situation where people can come there be, and it's not a district border type of situation, like wh- why should a guy feel bad or why should a guy – I mean, your job is to build a great program, and and where where I struggle with it is, we, we and we get more discussion now. In the last ten years, it's it's been talked about more, but we've seen it as much in public schools in the last decade and a half as we ever have with with Catholic. I mean, kids just start jumping to schools where basketball is good if they're a basketball kid. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. it's not a Catholic uh, versus uh, you know private versus public anymore. I and and I just I've always been curious about your position on that because I, again, your job was to build a great program. And when you did that, because of where you're located, some doors are going to open, which, which leads me to my next question. I put, I had sent you a little outline of things we might talk about a couple of days ago. And I remember that 99 run pretty distinctly, just following it a little bit, seeing the scores and knowing that you didn't have what would be termed an, an unbelievable regular season and how things turned out. So contrast that feeling of that run 
with your 03 team because, Coach, I'm telling you what, the 03 team might be the most physically impressive co- collection of young men. I mean, P.J. Junger might have been your 12th or 13th guy, and he was all conference for us at Bluffton University. Yeah, yeah, we, we really have some talent. Kind of similar to what we have now. We're, we're probably close now uh, as we've been. That 03 run was incredible. I would say this, 99 was um, uh, a special moment. I, I, I think the first time that we went there, and again, we, we, we won some incredible games. We were down 13 points in the district finals with three three minutes and five seconds to go and came, and came back and won uh, uh, against uh, – a really good Vandalia Butler team that, uh, gosh, I can't think of coach's name. He's a legendary coach. Uh, Zawa- is it, was it Zawadzki? Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, Ray's team. And we, we were fortunate, and I didn't think of that. We, we had made a comeback and taken a one-point lead. They had the last possession of the game, and Ray went, runs a great backdoor play. And our kid bites, and their best player gets a backdoor cut, gets the pass, has a layup at the buzzer to beat us in a, in a rim down. And, and so we go on and win the state championship. So much of, of basketball <laughs> is, is – kind of, but I do think that 99 – we had a kid on our team. We had some really special kids. Matt Sylvester was on that team who ended up being good to Ohio State. He was a sophomore that year, and he really blossomed in the tournament. But I would tell you, we had a kid named Mike Monterey, who's the best high school passer that, that I've ever seen in my life. And he went and had a good career at Butler. But Michael had a will to win that was just so rock solid. And he had two big threes late in the Shaker game when they were making a run that, that kept us uh, kept us in the lead and, and eventually gave us the state title. So not that 03, I love that team too. You know, we have such, you know, in fact, Josh Duncan showed up in our summer practice the other day. Josh Duncan's one of the great, great players. Uh, Andrew Bragman on that team, Bubba Walther. Our point guard, Robbie Christie, was so hard-nosed and tough. And we had a kid on that team that no one ever talks about, named Joe Kiminer, who I, I'm telling you, he held that team together. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's funny, when you you know, I'm 60 years old now, getting towards the end of it, and you know, I look back at these teams, and what's fun is watching what all these guys are doing in their careers. And I'm telling you, almost to a man, they're doing great. They're crushing it. And, uh, and it's just fun to watch that. And, and Coach, I, I guess what I'm always also fascinated with, with, with situations like yours, because the 99 run was magical. The 03 team was, was, was so incredibly gifted. And, and you've, you've gotten to a place where the, the level of talent on your team, essentially year in and year out, is, is just is impressive. And, and, and I said in the opening uh, for the podcast that you didn't get to hear because I always record a little opening that, you know, I, I've only known you, you know, kind of peripherally, I guess. Just we, we've met a couple times and we've talked a few times. But from the outside looking in, when I describe what I see with you and your staff, both, I mean, I, and I've been blessed to, to have a little bit of a, of a exposure to Fred Hesse and, and known him for a while and remember hearing him speak when I was a, a young guy at a camp and your staff embodies what I believe is is steadiness and humility uh, in, in a way that's impressive because 
you don't have any reason <laughs> to be to be humble uh, and, and to be as steady as you are. And, and I think, again, just what it speaks to to me, and, and I'd like you to kind of kind of speak on this, if you would. On some level, you get to a place where there's a healthy amount of pressure on your guys not to drop the ball. And, and, and I'd like to talk about how you guys manage expectations year in, year out. How do you go about creating a new feeling with every team? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, let, let me say a word about our staff. You mentioned Fred, and he is one of the great guys, and he is so humble. But the one unique thing that happened during during that, that throughout the 90s and even the 2000s, and with each decade, we picked up great people. And we've got guys who have been with me now for 30, 20 15. Uh, guys just get in, and, and, and I do think um, I've always felt like Greg Popovich. I saw him see one, to, saw him say about their organization, which I do admire, the Spurs. He said, You've got to be over yourself to be here, whether you're a player, or coach, or whatever, you got to be over yourself. And I think that's true on our staff. Like, it's it's not about the adults. It's about the kids. And if you don't have that mindset going in, if this is about your individual glory or whatever, that I just don't think you're going to fit well on our staff. Now, if you enjoy watching kids develop and kids um, learn learn to be better collectively than they are individually, if you like being a part of that, then you're going to love being around our staff. And we love the game and have fun. I, I would tell you now, like, if you even came to our practice, you wouldn't even know I'm the head coach. I, I'm a big believer in all the assistants have major roles. Everyone who's on that floor is a head coach. And, and we're not in the hierarchy thing. Uh, I really believe that it's kind of influenced by the Marianist religious order that, that, that Mueller's a part of, but I believe in something called community of equals. And, and I just don't believe in the hierarchy of, I know I have a role to, to do as head coach, but all of I want our players to see every coach in our program as a head coach. And I want them to feel that way. And, and, and if they have that, that into our value system, like they were a head coach. And I think that, that helps them grow. Um, I think you asked me one question. <laughs> I went another direction. No, I, that, that's great. Go, go where you need to go because I enjoyed it, and I just jotted down community of equals. I, I think that's a, a remarkable concept that, you know, because I, I think a lot of people would ask, you know, how do you keep guys in place for that many years uh, when you have success? They're supposed to leave and become head coaches and do other things. But when when you talk about community of equals, I think that – shed some light on why nobody why people wouldn't necessarily be in a hurry to leave yeah i do think i know frank frank gets offered jobs all the time we have a coach on our staff who i think might be the brightest basketball guy i've ever met at any level and i've been fortunate enough and more to meet a lot of big time basketball guys obviously and and uh, we got a guy named Danny Jerkowitz and he kinda he's he sort of he's our main tactician both offensively and defensively. He's just a basketball savant and for him, you know, he doesn't have to deal with all the hassles that, that maybe a head coach would be. He loves coaching the game, and he runs his own business, so it allows him to do it. And then probably the main driver in our program is a guy named Mike Sussley. Mike is the heartbeat. He actually was an assistant college coach for Pete Gillen 
made a decision to get out of college coaching because he wanted to have a family and get married and coaching college coaching could be tough with that. And Mike's been with me for 30 years and he just, he's that energizer button. He's always pushing us forward and coming up with ideas. And he kind of, he, he's in charge of all of our summer program. And again, I, I guess what I'm saying is when we talk more basketball, I tend to get a lot of credit for it. It, it really is a collective effort of, a, of about a dozen people that, that do it equal. And I, that's, you just, I think encapsulated with that statement, the one thing that um, when I get away from coaching and I have a couple different times for a year or two, what, what always brings me back is I, I miss the relationship with the coaches on a staff. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. And I love that relationship relating to players. And, you know, coach, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, relating relationships and the importance of it. And I struggle a little bit in, in this day and age, not that it's it's rampant, but there's enough of it that it, it, I struggle with it is that at times I feel like players have a have a difficult time respecting each other enough to. And, and then that carries over to where I, I've struggled at times with players who don't don't have any real reverence for their coaching staff. Um, and I've observed it in, in different places at different times. And so when I watch what your program does, uh, I, I'm always enamored by it because it, it, it appears that that part is, is a non-negotiable for you guys. And, and I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, yeah, I can't even imagine coaching a situation like that. And I, but I also try to recognize the fact we've been blessed to have such talented kids that we've been able to build success. And then, then it's easier to sell your ideas when you're winning. And, and not everyone is in a situation where they've got the kind of players to be successful um, consistently. So I, I know, I know, I don't take it for granted. We, we've been blessed, but I, I know that you have to have a culture there that in fact, you know, I, I think the kids have to, they have to understand that when they're in that locker room, they're in a locker room that means something and it stands for something. And, uh, and they have some understanding in, of, of, of the history of, of what we have a sign in the locker room that says, um, drink the water, but always remember he dug the well. That there were people before you that helped create this, this legacy of Mueller basketball. And, um, you know, and, and, and we want our kids to enjoy the legacy. Well, we want them to enjoy the heritage of Mueller basketball. We want them to build their own legacy. And we talk to them about that all the time. Outstanding. That's outstanding stuff. I, I want I want to shift gears just a, a little bit because I want to spend some time talking about your own evolution as a coach. Um, you know, your your philosophy. Um, I think the, the, the really popular question today is what, what's your why? And, you know, we, we talked early in the podcast about when you get bitten by the bug and how exhilarating coaching is. But over the, the, the 30 plus years that you've been involved, can, can you identify a change in your in your why in terms of why you go about it every day, every year, every season? You know, I, I don't think so. I, I think that's remained pretty consistent. And, and um, you know, I, I, I'd say for, for me personally, I think it may be true for some of our other coaches. Um, I mentioned I, I, I enjoy the process and I enjoy the thought 
that I've always believed that the basketball court, and I think it's true of the football field or whatever it is, but I always think sports in many ways coaches a young man's life better than anything. And, and certainly I have respect for the classroom of math and chemistry and all that. But I do think sports in such a unique way can really coach a kid about the values and the qualities that will provide him a great life. And, and I don't want to get too philosophical, but, you know, I, that's what I think I enjoy more. And I, I know we've been blessed to win a lot, so I, so, so I know maybe I take that for granted. But I can honestly tell you I'm proud of all those wins. They trust me on that. But I, um, it, 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 it's really the process with the kids. At, at the end of our season every year, um, we put a lot into our banquet. I, I say all year long, that's it's the biggest individual night of the year. And if you play basketball for four years or more and you're graduating a senior, whether you ever got into games or not, we have a lot of good players that don't get to play. As you know, and PJ Junger, you know that from most, we have a lot of kids who can play that don't get an opportunity here. But all those kids give a speech and, and they write it on their own. I don't do, but I, I, I want to see what this experience meant to them. And I'm telling you, you don't hear them talk much about the state championship game or, you know, we were in the league here. I mean, they, they are really talking about the relationship in the room. They're talking about what they learned. They're talking about what their parents, they know their parents have done for them. And this, I, I, I like to see that kind of growth. The kids start seeing the world b- bigger than themselves and understanding, having some gratitude as, as to what it is. That, that's what I think I enjoy the most. And I, I think that's what we're teaching. Well, I, if PJ is an example of what other young men experience, I, I, I can rest assured, you can rest assured that's what you're teaching because I, in the conversations I had with him for the couple of years that I coached uh, on the staff at Bluffton, and yes, yeah, that's that's the part that, that stuck with him and, and has shaped, I think, a lot of who he is. And and uh, it's it's definitely being accomplished. What I'd also like to ask you about, though, is, is and, and I'm pretty commonly asking coaches this question, because the game has changed a lot in the last decade or maybe a couple decades, but certainly the last 15 years, it, it's changed. Uh, has much changed about your how, about how you go about it in terms of how you practice, the way you set practice up, what your structure of a of, of building a season looks like? Um, yeah, I, I think it has, actually. I, I, I think we, we, we've evolved a lot, you know. And I said, I wasn't a college basketball player, so I really was very clueless when I got the job. I was not ready to coach in the GCL in 1990. And i tell you what I did. I'd actually started a couple years before, but I really doubled down. I'm assuming, John, you're you're well aware of Don Meyer, David Lipscomb. Yeah, he is. uh, He is. If I if I could be a guy, I'd be him. (laughs) Okay. well. I stumbled onto his tapes as a young coach, and I started watching. This is my guy. Uh, my guy's not Bobby Knight. My guy's not Mike Suggesti. And this guy, I, I think he he coached. So I started going down there, and I actually became actually pretty good friends with, with Coach Meyer. And 
I was at their camp for five straight years. Were you ever at their camp, John? I, I never made it to their camp. Actually, I, I, I'm a little bit younger, so I stumbled on – you and I have a lot of things in common, from the history major thing to the thinking about law school thing to the – I stumbled on to Coach Meyer a little bit later. Uh, it was, I was probably – well, I was out of college, so it was probably 97, 98-ish. And uh, I didn't get a chance to hear him speak till about 2009 – um, and he had had the accident by that time he was at Northern state and, uh, and had lost his leg. But I, I just, I just think the guy's one of the best teachers and I, and I would have loved to have been able to work his camp. It, 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 it everything like my camps now, we, one of our, one reason we've had a lot of success, we've attracted huge numbers to our camps over the years. I ran him just like he ran. He had the largest camp in America back in the late 80s and early 90s. He, the, the guy had 800 kids a week. I mean, he, he was, I mean, they, it was really an amazing thing. And I would go down there and I would go all, all the clinics. Um, they were so thorough. You know, back in those days, you'd have a team. They'd give you 10 kids and you'd have them all week. And, those kids would have to carry around notebooks and go to clinics with you as coach. And we would all take notes about how to close out, how to deny. They were so specific on basketball. So I, I will say this. Everything that that we started in our program in the 90s, I took from Don Meyer. I, I By far the biggest influence for me. And I, I tell you, when we won it in 99, I called him the next day, and uh, and he was very gracious. I said, Coach, I have to get one the college player. Uh, kind of got in this in some ways almost by accident, but but I will be here again. Thank you. And uh, he was gracious, and, and we kept a pretty good relationship up, up till the end of his life. But uh, great, great guy. Well, and, and I didn't see this question coming when I when I set out the outline, but since we brought up Coach Meyer and I, I could we could do two podcasts on Coach Meyer. Um, the question I have is I, I've always been a notebook guy, so I love the fact that his players had their notebooks on all most of his tapes. They would sit on the end line and they would get their notebooks out and he'd call them out to demonstrate. And if they weren't demonstrating, they'd be sitting with their notebooks on their laps. And I, and I hear a lot of discussion today about how kids don't learn that way anymore and kids don't do that. Um, what what do you do to maintain that type of an approach with your kids? Is it do you still have notebooks with your guys? Do you approach it differently? Uh, what what's your approach in that area? Because I've always been a binder guy and a notebook guy, but I keep being told that kids don't learn that way anymore. Yeah, you know it's funny. We still do the notebooks, and uh, but but I'll tell you, I, I I don't know that I we do them with the tenacity that um, we might have in the '90s. I, I think like a lot of coaches, I have mellowed. Over the years, I do things now that I would have never done in the 90s. I think I was more nervous in the 90s and more about basketball. And I think today I'm actually more about relationships and building up, building a um, an atmosphere in our room. Of, you know, we talk a lot about enthusiasm and joy. So, I mean, we, we, we'll play music during part of our uh, warm-up, and we're trying to create an atmosphere of enthusiasm with our guys. So I have things a little bit, uh, and I do find today's kids a little different. Uh, I, I know there's a part every day with about 20, 20 to 30 film in a meeting every day, and uh, and kids have their notebooks out, and they are taking notes during that, and, and I think it's important. 
Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt it's important, and I'm, I'm glad that, that that approach still works. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, – well, I, let me just throw this question out there from an X and O standpoint, and, and I love what you guys do with the chin stuff. Uh, talk about your evolution X and O wise, and 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 how you like to approach a, a typical possession now. You know, I, I always kind of laugh because people say, you know, we play slow, and you know, we we uh, I mean, we, we really are. For us, it's about quality shots. So I don't really care if that's within five seconds or, or if that takes a minute and five seconds. I, I, I believe that the team that typically wins is the team that gets the best quality shots. So that kind of drives our offense in, in our defense. Um, we've, um, you know, so we, I say in the 90s and early years, we were pretty exclusively motion. Now we, we, we kind of run a, an open post with some actions that we like, and I guess you could call it motion if you wanted, but uh, kind of have our own unique thing. I think players would tell you that that in more basketball, we, we, we want the ball moved and we get quality shots. Um, you know, we don't walk it down the court. We're going to push it every time, but, but, but we're not going to take bad shots. And, Defensively, I would tell you that in the 90s when I started, and this was a lot of time, we were really aggressive. We would deny wins and deny passes and do a lot of that. And um, I would say Dick Bennett influenced me a lot. I I saw him several times, and he talked about the way to win championships is what kids do well today is, is they dribble, penetrate, and get into the rim. And you have to have a system set up that does not allow that to happen. So we'll give up some passing on the perimeter, but but we're not going to let you get to the lane. And so we we've run our own form. It's a little unique, our own form of like gap defense, uh, and uh, it, it's it's really been good for us. I mean, our our defensive stats have been really impressive for about five years, but we've had really good long players too. So that, that helps. <laughs> it certainly does. Yes. So when you talk about your adjustment defensively and getting getting back in being in the gaps a little more and, and things like that and, and being accused of playing slow, you know, I, I was really fortunate to call a lot of the state finals that you played in because the station that I did some work for when I was broadcasting, uh, nobody wanted to stick around for the late game. So I, I did. And, and and I always enjoyed the approach that, that you guys have because, Coach, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, I, like you said, you – I feel like you have a team that, that generally can play at two paces. I mean, you, you, you can push for easy baskets, but you don't just push for quick shots. Um, do, do you feel like at, at times that's well enough established that guys understand it, or is that a, like a year-long process with every team to get them to understand the importance of pushing it but the supremacy of making sure we don't just take a shot because we pushed it up the floor? You know, I, I – I think to a certain degree, I think any kid who comes to Moeller, like a kid's not coming to Moeller to average 30 points a game. we got too many other good players, and, and we're playing to win. We're not we're not playing for the show. You know, we're, we um, – so, you know, I, if you just think, you know, a couple of years ago, in my opinion, Miles McBride was, was the best player in the state. And we went undefeated that year. You know, we won the state title, but, he, you know, he did not win player of the year in the state and, uh, because he, he averaged 14 points a game. And uh, we, 
he averaged 14 points a game because he was getting everybody else great shots and, and played total team basketball. And, you know, kids want to have the 25 points a game, the 30 points a game. You know, we, we just are going to attract kids that are all about winning. And I think that's that's helped us a little bit because we just believe sharing the basketball is is, is the way to win. And so when you when you start installing your stuff with your team and, and you talked about your kind of open post stuff and I told you I love your chin stuff. I, it's interesting to me because you guys run your chin action without the flare screen at the top most of the time. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the way I, we've done it with teams I've uh, been involved with before, too. And you, you run some sets out of there. But I, let, let's talk a little bit about installing and teaching offense and, and maybe defense to your guys. I, I know there's a lot of, of discussion around coaching today and, and particularly uh, around practice habits um, that, that it's, it's more important to spend more time playing five on five. And you had talked earlier in the podcast about the value of repetition of, of base fundamentals. And uh, when you, when you, when you set up practice now, do you guys, do you guys try to establish five on five as a big part of practice throughout the year? Or is it, is it something that that's, I mean, how's your, what's your approach in that area? You know, it's evolved a little bit too. And I think it's really one thing I do like about, coaching is that we're constantly trying to figure it out. I would say that, again, more in the 90s, I probably was more of a drill coach to, to coach offensive and defensive things. Uh, Fred Hesse, who you mentioned earlier, one of our assistants, uh, we've always kind of enjoyed watching UConn women's basketball. They're so efficient. Again, they got great players, but they are so efficient with, with the basketball. So Fred goes up there about every year and watches them practice. And the first year he went up and he came back and I was really interested. I, and uh, he said, Carl, they started practice uh, on one end of the court, five on five, offensive practice. It went on for an hour and 30 minutes. And I'd always been someone from Don Meyer. I'm changing every five or 10 minutes what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> they did five on five, their offense, for an hour and a half. And, you know, we start talking about that as staff, and I would tell you that uh, we actually do. I've never gone for an hour and a half, I would tell you that. But we, we will do segments of half-court offense for 20, even 30 minutes early in the season, which I, I didn't use to do it that way. So, and, and, and we find that it's actually been pretty beneficial. When we went to the Princeton stuff, um, gosh, I'm not even sure how many years ago it was, maybe – maybe seven or eight years ago, Fred has again brought that to our staff. Fred had run it some, and he had studied in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, the one thing I found, I, I, it, it can be good and bad, but I, I will tell you, when you need to take control of a game and you've got that in your back pocket, it really makes it difficult for your opponents. Uh, you know, if you've got the lead and you want to control the basketball, it's been very effective for us in the fourth quarter well it certainly has and, and the other thing that i really kind of love about it is when when you get into that that two guard set with everybody lifted at times it's almost like the defense anticipates well we got to grind out a possession here and and you can run you can run some really effective sets and quick hitters that if the deep yeah. if the defense wants to wants to kind of well, I'm just going to relax here for a minute because all they're doing is trying to burn the clock you can really get good shots early in a possession if you cut hard 
Yeah, yes, you can. And, and that cutting hard is number one. And so I I don't you won't remember this. I I know you won't. So I'm going to remind you of it because it was it was something that was, I don't know, gosh, 12, 13 years ago or whatever it was. But after you spoke at our clinic at Bluffton and we had our practice, we we went and grabbed a bite to eat. Um, And I'd asked a question at that time over all that time from 1990 to at the time it would have been 2007. But now we're talking 13 years later. But when I asked you that question, then it was. Was it ever appealing? And I'm sure you would have had opportunities to look at going to the next level and coaching college. Um, can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and whether or not it's something that you ever entertained or had an opportunity to, to seriously consider? And um, there was a, uh, I'm not sure what time, I'd say in the mid-90s, Kirk Sendak was at Miami, John, and he would call me. And back in those days, they had a, um, they had like the restricted earnings coach, so I think you made like five thousand dollars or something like that. But he had offered me, uh, you know, to offer me to do that. It just didn't make sense. But my wife and I just had uh, two children, ninety-two and ninety-three, and just didn't make sense to uh, to do that. And then I, uh, Tommy McConnell at St. Francis in Pennsylvania, had offered me an opportunity in the nineties to go out there. I'll be honest with you. Um, when I landed at Muller, um, even though it's not like the high school I went to, I knew I was in an incredibly special place. And again, you know, I haven't made a million dollars or anything like that. Uh, but I knew that from what I believed in and how I wanted my life and our family's life to go, I, I, I the one thing I, I was smart enough to recognize how blessed I was, and it really is. The all-boy Catholic school is so great for coaching. Uh, the families that have come through our program, to be honest, I've known. I've never really been tempted to, to, to go anywhere else. I, I've known what, what a great situation uh, that, that, that I fell into. And, and that's why even when they asked me to be principal, I really felt, an obligation. I felt like this place has treated me so well, and it's so much. It's not just where I work; it is it, it, who I am, and and the values of of the school and, and the Marinus Society that run the school just mean a lot to me. So, to answer your question, no, I never considered that. And to be honest, I don't think I'd be that good at it. I don't think I'd be much of a recruiter, despite everybody thinking I. <laughs> I can appreciate that response for sure, coach. But I, but I would add one statement to what you just said. When you consider talent of the athletes, when you consider facilities and, and support from the school and the community, and just based on what we've talked about tonight and what little bit I've been able to observe your program, you, you kind of have a college coaching job. I mean, You've you've got you've got video equipment. You've got managers. You've got a great staff of assistants. You you've kind of got a job that if if a college wanted to lure you away, they 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 probably can't match all the boxes you can check right where you're at. Yeah, I I I kind of agree. We we have over the years kind of developed it into a college-like situation, and uh, you know I, I mean. You know, we've got six, seven managers. We've got I me. Mean, I've got a guy who just does nothing but work with our managers. Uh, Dolls, he does a great job. Yeah, we're very fortunate. 
But I will say, John, that didn't happen overnight. That has grown over 30 years. And the one thing I was always proud of with, with our guys, that I truly believe we've gotten better. Like, if you look at every five-year segment, I think our program's gotten better in every five-year segment. We keep growing, and that's, um, you know, I think you have to do that to stay successful. So the last question I'll ask you, and I'll let you get away from me on this one, is you know, based on what you've built and how successful it's been, and you've described your evolution and 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 sharing and, and having the community of equals. Uh, was there a time when you found it difficult to balance your your faith and your family with what can be an all-consuming job in, in a spot like that? Were there times when it was difficult, and what have you done to kind of make sure that you're able to maintain that balance? That's a good question, and yeah, I think anyone coaches can relate to. It. I think you always kind of wonder, you know. And it's still this day. Both of my kids are grown; they're doing great. They're both employed. They're 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 uh, they're happy. They're I've got a son's twenty six, and my daughter's twenty five, and um, you know, and, and my wife's been amazing. She's not one of those wives like she's not a basketball wife. She's she has her own interests, and she she comes to games and she gets to know the kids, and she's so supportive. But she's not that wife that's there every game, cheering for everything. Uh, you know, she and, and so it's really worked well. We've had a good combination of that. But you always wonder, you know. Did I keep it balanced the way I should have? And I hope so. I think it's even been a little harder these last few years. In fact, I would tell you these last few years of doing the principal job. Um, you know, I, I actually, but, but I think if I cheated aside, it is basketball. But we've got so many great guys that that they really are better on court coaches than me. Uh, you know, I've let them do more and more. They're really running the program largely, and I'm—they're really coaching the team, and I'm largely running the program. And uh, so sometimes I'll worry about that. It feels a little weird. So I think we all—we all struggle some trying to make sure that we're balancing all the important stuff in our life. Well, here, here's what I know, and we talked about this when we weren't recording uh, during the podcast between segments. Is that you get to a certain point in coaching and, and when you've had success or you've got a, a large program and you've got a lot going on, it, it sometimes can be easier to say no to requests than it is to say yes. And, and you didn't do that. You, you said yes to, to being on this podcast. And I want you to know how much I appreciate it. Uh, I, I just I, I'm not in coaching right now. I mean, hopefully I will be again someday. I'm, I'm 48 years old and feel like I'm 28. So I, I, I still see myself wanting to do it. But uh, the podcast has has really taken off because guys are willing to share their story. Guys like talking the game, and 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 a guy who's in a position like you are with the program the size of yours, and being a building principal, and and having all that you do, you you certainly didn't have to do this. So I want to say thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I loved it. I you you don't even have to record it. I sit and talk to you about basketball all night. I, I appreciate having me on here, John. I appreciate what you're doing. Well, good luck to you going forward. I uh, I intentionally did not bring up what it had to be like to end the season where yours ended. Uh, I, I didn't want to make you talk about that, but I am hoping that maybe down the road we can grab a topic and throw back out there. I'd really love to get into some discussion with you about your core values and, and, and do some basketball-specific topics and maybe spend half the time that we spent tonight but still really dive into that stuff. So down the road maybe we can do that. 
be awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.